Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort, supervising video producer at Polygon, and I'm here tonight with Christina Warren, senior developer advocate at GitHub. How are we doing? Doing okay, doing okay. It's like the dog days of summer. Like this feels like this is like this week, and I guess like next week, like will really be like the last weeks of summer. So like not a lot is happening, and then it's going to be a ton of stuff. So you know, not oh, bad. Not bad. Yeah, we are in a, a little news slump right now, and an end of summer slump. But soon, perhaps the air will be stiffening, freshening, <laughs> chillening, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we will have energy once more. We'll have phones and we will have all kinds of things. It'll be, it, it'll get we'll big. Have products. Yeah, it'll be big fast. So we're kind of enjoying this while we can, um, mm-hmm. you know. Not that we are completely news barren because we have no. some interesting stories tonight. So, of course, we will be talking about Sony's new hardware announcement such as it is, we'll also be talking about a new right-to-repair bill that's making its way to the California State Assembly right now. For dessert, we will be revisiting a favorite scam topic. It is Firefest 2, of which we have scant, yet concrete. (laughs) Yet are they concrete? New details. Um, Spoiler. (laughs) We've got numbers. I was going to say, spoiler, Christina has not bought a, did not purchase a ticket. I did not. I think it's it's good for you to reassure the audience of that right up front. No, I I, I felt I felt that way because I got so many texts and and tweets from people, which I appreciate. We will talk about this more, but no, um, I did not give Billy McFarland five hundred dollars of my money for something that there was no details on. I, I did not do that. I actually, I'm proud of myself. I I, I really feel like I showed restraint. <laughs> I am proud of you too. And for our bonus segment for our subscribers, our premium subscribers, we will be talking about the Scooter Braun Exodus, the biggest story that's happening in pop culture right now. Now, let me really quickly remember to pause my Dropbox sync. Yes. <laughs> Because it was really just a matter of time until our recording software decided to not transmit my voice to Christina. (laughs) No, exactly. I mean, I was going to say, I was like, okay, I'm going to ask you this question now, Simone. Have you had Dropbox running in the background for most of the last episodes? No, I mean, it's running in the background, but it's not been syncing and like uploading files. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So let me provide some context for our listeners today. Uh, my Spectrum internet has been down basically since last night. Oh. And we were concerned that, like, it's been literally down all day. I keep checking in. I keep trying to connect on my laptop um, to do my work. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. Well, and to be clear, like, like Simone, like, you don't just have, like, a, you don't have a low latency job, right? Like, it's not like you're writing news articles where, yeah, you could, you could tether for that. Like, you do video editing, which means you have to transfer large amounts of footage back and forth. So much data. Um, and it finally, we we're worried that we would have to like record the show tomorrow. Um, but then, literally, like an hour and a half before recording time, Spectrum said, okay, she can have internet. Um, but the consequence of that is that all of the, uh, <laughs> let's see how many gigabytes, the many gigabytes of Zelda footage that I spent today recording because I didn't have access to the internet that I just popped into my desktop Dropbox folder just started automatically syncing, and I did not notice until just now. However, however, we've stopped it. 
<laughs> I love so it. So now we can record a podcast. No, I love it. And, and I love that we're going to keep all of this in, that Jim's going to keep all of this in. Because frankly, like listeners, like we don't have a sponsor this week. Um, please, uh, we're sponsored by us. Please subscribe to our, our uh, you know, and Rocket our Booster. Yeah, be, be our boosties um, so that we can do more fun stuff and continue to uh, record this the, the way that we enjoy doing it. Um, but when we don't have sponsors, I think that we can just kind of talk about like we have we have tech. We're, we are a tech podcast. We should talk mm-hmm. about our, our tech challenges or the awful people at Spectrum Internet who I mean, honestly, I, I'm so mad unless that, they're listeners, in which case they've been diligently working all day to repair my connection. No, but like for real, like Internet would be down for a day like they better like cop you something. I mean, I would have been I would have been apoplectic but that's that's me yeah maybe i'll hit them up on support uh but yeah that was my logic too we're a tech podcast let me talk about my dropbox syncing uh (laughs) i hear that we'll be going off dropbox though which is potentially exciting for me um anyway hey let's talk about tech stuff sony's new remote play device has been officially revealed it is called the playstation portal it is what I would describe as a screen between two halves of a controller, uh, and that screen is 8 inches, capable of 60 FPS and 1080p, according to Sony, as well as featuring touch controls. It can connect over Wi-Fi to your PS5, allowing for second screen capabilities while your TV is in use, but crucially, not when your PS5 is in use, because you will be using it via remote play. Uh, it features an audio jack for wired sound and can also, according to Sony's uh, post, connect via Ethernet as well as Wi-Fi. It does not support PSVR 2 games or games that are streamed through PlayStation Plus's premium cloud streaming because it's already streaming from your PS5 physically. It can only play games that are physically installed on said PS5. Uh, Sony recommends well, Sony recommends 15 uh, megabits per second uh, for the best experience, but at least five. We don't know anything about the battery life of the device yet, but CNET is predicting it'll be similar to the DualSense controller's seven to nine hours of battery life. Uh, The PlayStation Portal launches this year for $200, USD. It is not yet available for pre-order, but the initial rumors about the device put it in November of this year, which I think makes sense for the holiday season, which is undoubtedly when Sony will want to get it out. Um, and that is basically all of the scant information that we have, Christina. Yeah. Okay. Can we just talk about how weird this is? Because it's a funky looking little thing. Yeah. <laughs> what, it, what it looks like to me is that they took like an eight inch tablet, which also kind of a weird size. So like slightly bigger than a phone. Right. But like not as big as like a full tablet iPad. Um, they took and, and, and but bigger than a switch, uh, even so they, they took like this, this screen, um, and then on either end, it's like they, they took a, a you know, dual sense, uh, five controller and kind of like cut it in half and just put each end on it. Kind of like, um, what's the, uh, uh, the, the backbone, um, iPhone, um, a gaming controller, which is great. Um, I love mm-hmm. like the backbone is awesome. If you, if, if, if uh, listeners haven't used it, it is um, basically like a, a controller that um, looks more similar to, I guess it's set up as more similar to an Xbox controller, but basically um, it sp- spreads out in the middle. You put your phone in it, uh, you know, kind of clip it in and then your phone is there. So it, it, it's a similar thing to that. It just looks better, but it's $200. It, it's a weird looking device. It's 
a remote play device, but only from yeah. your PlayStation 5, not from PlayStation Cloud. Yeah. Yeah, and I just returning briefly to the the physical aspect yes. of it. I really cannot stress enough your point <laughs> that it just looks like they cut a play a dual sense in half. Yes. Like it it literally looks like they stuck that to the core of a switch. Uh-huh. And it, it it's it's a little bit graceless, I will say. Yes. I, I'm a, especially for Sony, who like went kind of out of the box with the design of the PS5 itself. Yeah. And even with the the PS4, like it's not a particularly groundbreaking device in terms of looks, but it's quite sleek. Yeah. Um, very angular. And this, like it, it, it there's no it's it, at least from the single still image that they have released, it does not look like the I, I can't see the thought into the design much further than take screen, put it between the existing controller that we already have. And obviously the DualSense is a great controller. Yes. I quite enjoy it. That being said, it it doesn't look very elegant. Uh, it looks like a bit of a Frankenstein device. Yeah. Um, IGN did like a hands-on um, video with it. And if you watch the video, it it doesn't really look any better than in the photos, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, like, it, it's it's still, like, they did bring in some of the design elements, I guess, of the the, the PS5, like, on the back. Like, it, it's a single seat, um, you know, um, like, a sheet of, uh, of white plastic that kind of has a similar curvature that you have with the the standard PS5. And then it has some, you know, color lighting the same way that you would on a DualSense controller. Um, so, it does have some of the design sensibilities, but it really just does look like they just like glommed on either half onto like the middle of a switch, like you said. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm curious, I don't know, like, you know, watching uh, the, the, the um, IGN's hands-on video, I don't really get a sense of what the experience is like. Is this, is this going to be something that's usable or is this something that's going to be weird? Because what's interesting about this is unlike the switch and unlike the steam deck, and unlike the the backbone and even the Hori controllers or whatever, there is a gap between the bottom of the controller where you can, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the grip and the screen itself. And so I don't know if that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. That's a really good point. And I'm that's one of the things I am curious about just because certainly the Steam Deck, which is the device that I definitely love mm-hmm. and I love using – it is quite heavy. Yes. And I wonder if like being able to curl my whole hand around right. the device would make grip. it easier. Yeah, to grip. Um, so that's something I am curious to see with this. But the point that you brought up earlier about like, what is this for? It's a remote play device that just plays the games that are over Wi-Fi on the PS5 that you have in your home. It uh it is such a limited use case yeah. in a world where we have not only the Steam Deck, the Switch, uh, but also, as um, we both know, like remote play, yes. um, which this is kind of designed to address some of the shortcomings of like remote play with the PS5. I've used it on my uh, gaming laptop, my Windows laptop. It works fine for what I've been using it for, which was like to stream Elden Ring to mm-hmm. my PC and then like be able to play that or to screen share that video in Discord so that people could watch me play Elden Ring um, or so that, you know, my my colleagues could stream that to Twitch. 
but like there there are like remote play is not a, a perfect uh a perfect streaming solution so this right. is kind of intended to to deal with like some of the the latency issues with that so this so so but, so they say I mean, so I, they I, say. I, I, w- so I will they say, say. <laughs> um, I mean, this requires a little more effort. It's obviously not going to be as plug and play as remote play or other things, but there is an open source solution called uh, Chiaki, uh, C-H-I-A-K-I. Um, we'll have a, a link to it in the, the show notes and people have made some easier distributions and it's available for um, uh, Linux, um, uh, all the BSDs, Mac OS, Windows, the Nintendo Switch, as well as the Steam Deck. People have put it on all of these things. And it actually has better latency than the official remote play client. Uh, and <laughs> like, like, so it's faster and it has, it, you can do like 60 frames a second, which, uh, remote play limits you to 30 frames a second. Like that's one of the big features that, uh, the fanboys who are defending this, this product are, are hyping. They're like, Oh, but it's 60 frames a second when you're playing remote, of course, with the big asterisk, if, as long as your, your connection is strong enough. Um, great but again there's like this open source thing that you can do that with as well that's not a 200 dollar, you know like dumb tablet so as a consumer obviously installing that program on my steam deck to play my ps5 games does sound like the perfect solution yes as the corporate entity of sony (laughs) if i were to assume their role I would feel I need something more, something $200 that I can have people purchase in the holiday season. Right. The PlayStation Portal. Yeah. But it's weird. The, it is odd. And I, I almost wonder, I, I don't know, there there are obviously, there's a, a long distance between something like this and something like the Switch, which is a mobile console in its own right that you can install games on. But it does just beg the question why not make a mobile console that could also right. play remote play from your PS5 right for games that were say too large for it or for like games that you wanted to play as a second screen when someone else is using the TV for another purpose assuming that they're not like me using the PS5 to watch Netflix yeah or or or, <laughs> or more to my point like here's what I don't get like it you know they're testing the the cloud streaming PS5 games why are why is that not an option? Like mm-hmm. like like that to me I think is the is the biggest deficit here because I agree with you it would be great if you could do you know multiple things at once on on the PS5 and that hardware should theoretically be capable of doing that. I think that that would take a lot of um work on Sony's part, you know, to, to build kind of like the the server capabilities um on the the PlayStation 5 itself to be able to, you know, handle all those things and um you know, look say what you will Microsoft is better at that, um, uh, you know, in terms of, of how that sort of stuff works and and obviously has way more experience building, you know, like, you know, multi-use, you know, kind of server um, compartmentalizing, you know, containerizing apps, which is what you would need to do if you're wanting to say you still watch, you know, Netflix on your, um, uh, you know, TV or even on your, you know, remote play thing while somebody else is, you know, uh, doing a, a another, you know, less rudiment, uh, mm-hmm. like less intensive task, right? Like, I'm not saying that you could play full hardcore games and do things at once but you you should be able to potentially like two people should be able to watch netflix at one time right um but what's weird to me is that it doesn't support the the cloud gaming service which is to me that that's the whole reason why this would exist like yeah like this feels like that would be perfect for that because okay well you've got this hardware and if if your cloud gaming 
system is as good as you claim that it's going to be. And if the, you know, latency is as good, like, the, you know, like, if, like, yeah, why not stream to a device rather than streaming right. just to your PS5 and then needing to restream that to a device, like, exactly. which they can't do, obviously. Right. Yeah. Why, why can't it stream to this device versus that device? Right. And And that's the thing. It's like, to me, it's like, you know, I think that and people have created similar devices like this for the Xbox, um, uh, you know, uh, um, Game Pass Cloud, um, you know, like the Xbox Cloud and for similar price points. And that I could almost see the argument for, right? I'm like, okay, well, this is a, a great kind of portable device for me to play all the games that are available in the cloud. Cool. Mm-hmm. If you combine those things where you're like, okay, I can remote play things from my, you know, PlayStation, but I can also play things in the cloud and it's in the same device, that I think is worth $200. But just to be like, okay, this is basically, you know, the um, the Steam Link, or actually, this is what my very first reaction was. And I saw a lot of people had the same thought, but my initial reaction when I woke up this morning and I saw <laughs> this link from you and I looked at it and like the very first thing I thought was like, oh my God, they created a Wii U controller in 2023. Yeah. At like so I'm I'm looking up just to make sure I'm not nuts right now. Like the Nintendo Switch the OLED Nintendo Switch is $349. The regular Nintendo Switch is $300. Right. 300 that's almost uh, that's only $100 more right. than this device and you right. can install actual games on it. And again, right. I know like Sony does much more hardcore like uh, graphically intense shall we say yeah but you can also you can also, Nintendo you, switch, you can also run this this, this shiaki thing on your freaking yeah. nintendo switch like you can sideload yeah. it like people have created you know remote play clients so and the steam can, deck the lowest gigabyte steam deck is only 399 exactly so. so so you're talking okay it's twice as much money but you would be getting an actual gaming laptop and you know it, it's going to be heavier it's going to be a different device i just feel like if like if this were a hundred dollars, but you can use it outside of your house, right? Well, exactly. Well, <laughs> Off I mean, of your Wi-Fi. <laughs> well, you can use the, well, you can use this outside of your house too. Um, but the thing is, is that you would need to make sure that your home internet connection is going to be at least fifteen megabits per second to be able to, to do the the streaming, as they say. And even then, like, you're going to have some latency things. So you know, like yeah, you could definitely do it from outside your house. But if you like, I have fiber internet, and I have a, like a, a good backhaul, so I wouldn't have a problem if my PlayStation. Is plugged into Ethernet, doing that remotely, like right, that would be fine. This is two hundred dollars, which to me, like, if this were a hundred dollars, okay, um, maybe. Uh, I get though at that point that it, you know, then then you're like only a little bit more than a controller. So I, I get how Sony has priced themselves out of this a little bit because they make their accessories so expensive. They also announced some um, updated headphones, including some two hundred dollar uh, wireless earbuds. Cool, that just work with your PlayStation Five. Like that's a choice. That's choice. Yeah, like none. They all, all these devices, and maybe this will change later. Connect with PlayStation Link instead of Bluetooth, which I uh, is fine. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Okay, okay. Th- um, and just to clarify that you can use this outside of your home. This is from um uh, the PlayStation website. While home Wi-Fi network represents a great option to use PlayStation Portal Remote Player, because you have control over the quality of your own home Wi-Fi, it is not required. PlayStation Portal Remote Player can also be played wherever you have access to broadband internet Wi-Fi with at least five megabits gotcha. per second for use. For better play experience, okay. a high-speed connection is um, suggested. So, gotcha. yeah, I mean, 
So it's better than the Wii U insofar as you can take it out of your house. But it is still the exact same concept as the Wii U, which is like almost almost bankrupt Nintendo. Like Nintendo almost went away. Like we almost lost Nintendo. <laughs> Nintendo almost became Sega because of the Wii U. So taking into account, I guess, Sony's past hardware ups and downs, obviously, as we've said many times on the show before, I was a, pl- a fan of the PlayStation Vita. Yeah, you're like the only one. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. But I, uh, yeah, as you correctly say, I was the only one who purchased that device. Um, the PS4 and PS5 were, are both successful consoles Massively in their own successful. right. I don't think they've had a dud since like really the PS3, Three. Yeah. which was, yeah, not, which kind of lost that particular console war, as well as, of course, the PS Vita when it comes to remote stuff. Right. So, <sighs> I, I I don't know. Like generally, I do really love Sony devices. I love Sony games. I love Sony software, with the exception, again, sorry, so sorry, PS Vita. I love you. The PS Vita software was not great. The hardware was great. The hardware was lovely. The software navigating that uh menu, oh, it was not so nice. Um, so it it just kind of leaves me in the wild in terms of how this device will feel in the hand but as far as like use cases i certainly am not gonna pay no. two hundred dollars to access my ps5 games on a second screen when I, I i don't know i just i have other options no i i agree although it is interesting because i think that this is a polarizing thing and so listeners we would like to hear from you on our various you know social channels like you know get back to us on what you think because some of my friends I've been like, yeah, I'm buying this day one. This is exactly what I've I've wanted. And I've seen a number of those comments, which is odd to me because I'm like, I can't understand the use case for this. Just use, you know, um, one of these remote play clients um, on another device, you know, on your smartphone. You could even, you know, pair it with like a, a, a DualSense controller, you know, with your uh, Mac or your, your PC or whatever. Like there are a number of things you could do with that regard. Um, maybe this ostensibly could be a slightly better experience, but I don't know if it's $200 better. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm looking for the use case here, but I wish them luck. It just, it's weird. I think that if, again, if this worked with the cloud, if you could also connect to the cloud games in addition to just, you know, your, your home console, I would be way more in tune with this. And I don't understand why that limitation is there. Like that seems like a really dumb limitation. Um, I, the only thing I can assume is that just whatever chipset they're using for this thing is potentially not fast enough or good enough to to do, you know, whatever um, on-device processing it might need to do for the cloud stuff. Or, and this is probably more likely, they're not confident enough in the the cloud um, streaming stuff to actually sell like a dedicated accessory for that. Mm. Uh, I think that's probably more likely. But, you know, it, but this just, it, this is weird to me. It's, it's 200 bucks, okay? That's, you know, not that much cheaper than, Getting like a, 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 there are rumors that a, the PS5 Slim is going to be coming out, although it still looks yeah. fat. Like you know, it's almost <laughs> like you're you're inching up to that price point where you're like, okay, I could buy a Switch, which is not a good move, I don't think, for anybody right now. Like unless you have very specific needs, because it's going to be replaced within the next twelve months. Um, but you have a lot of other options of things you could buy, or, or save a little bit more and just get another PlayStation Five if if it's that much of a problem. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. We're, we'll wrap up on this, but just speaking yeah. from a consumer standpoint, not from the standpoint of a, a person who is pricing hardware and knowing how much different components cost. Totally. 200 
is a lot for remote streaming. Yes. And it makes me wonder, like, as, as a middle ground between just getting a mobile console versus what if there were some kind of cheaper option to do this, like a very corner cutty kind of just like it just plays your remote play games like it, it feels like that should that that c- i could see that being an option that makes sense to me but 200 dollars for for what this is feels wrong yeah does that make sense i totally okay. agree yeah it's weird it's a weird product um the, this weird product it's a weird product but, hey, we'll keep an open mind absolutely <laughs> let's move on to topic two discussing this Bill SB44. Apple is expressing support for SB44, the California bill that, quoting The Verge, uh, gives uh, allows manufacturers to give customers and independent repair shops the appropriate tools, manuals, and parts to repair damaged electronics and appliances. Um, Apple itself said in a statement to The Verge that Apple supports California's Right to Repair Act, so all Californians have even greater access to repairs while also protecting their safety, security, and privacy. That's my Apple voice. Yes. Um, Thank you, you, Tim Cook. Thank you, Tim Apple. Yeah, yeah, that's my perfect Tim Cook impression. (laughs) So this follows Apple launching self-repair programs for buyers of the iPhone 14 and the M2 MacBooks. Uh, For its part, Apple says it will support the bill so long as it continues to provide protections for customers, uh, including requirements that repair providers disclose the use of non-genuine or used parts. Uh, as well as assurances that the bill would not threaten customer security and data security by requiring manufacturers to manufacturers to disable security features for the sake of repair shops. Oh, a lot of verbiage. Uh, SB 244 is the next stop is the California State Assembly, having already passed the Senate in that state. Um, it follows a few other bills, I think, in, in states like, I believe, New York, Minnesota and New York, mm-hmm. although the New York one was, was defanged. Mm-hmm. defanged, neutered. Um, SB 244, does, I haven't read the same concerns about it, though. What do you think about this and what do you think about Apple's support for it? There are some um, uh, carve outs, but um, like I haven't read the bill super closely. I have a feeling that it is it's probably a good it's. This is my cynical take. I think the reason that Apple is um, supportive of this is because this is probably the best legislation they're going to get for them. Mm -hmm. And they know that they are probably, that this legislation is probably going to pass. So it would make more sense to get on board with something that they feel like they can work with and that is not going to potentially be at odds with their, um, you know, practices, both from a security standpoint and frankly, you know, from like a supply chain and like a, you know, controlling business and you know, profit standpoint, right? Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I I don't think that Apple sees their stance about repairability as being anti-consumer and that they are, you know, wanting people to primarily go to, you know, authorized Apple um, stores or, or authorized Apple repair centers and using Apple parts because they make so much money on iPhone repairs. I, I don't think the amount of money they make on iPhone repairs uh, is anything. Uh, I, I don't even know if it would be like a negligible amount to show up on their balance sheet, to be completely honest yeah. with you. But but I feel like, um, you know, they it's more about they want to have control over everything that's happening in their ecosystem. And um, they, they want to be able to, you know, not uh, have like a, you know, big um, sector of people who are in this. This is what happened for, for a long time before they started doing things with the secure enclave and 
with the biometric stuff where, you know, like just any like kind of, you know, pop-up shop could come up and do iPhone repair, um, which, you know, and, and there were so many knockoff, um, you know, uh, OEM parts that, that might be not the same quality, but would be effectively the same as Apple stuff, you know, selling for cheaper that undermined, I think, their control over the entire ecosystem end to end. So I, th- I think they have maybe for their part, they're like, it's not that we're being evil and that we want you to always buy new things, but we just want control over the entire experience. Uh, but I think that the uh, the fact is, is that this is probably as good of a bill as they're going to get because it could be a lot worse, right? Like it could require that they make more parts available to more people and that they, you know, do things, uh, you know, in terms of opening up their supply chains, you know, about how parts can be sourced and whatnot. There are a lot mm-hmm. of things that could be done, which would be not beneficial to Apple and the things that were, you know, taken out of the, the New York bill, for instance, which they fought to basically get those things taken out and get that uh, bill defanged. I feel like this is probably an admission that, okay, California is going to pass something like this. This is not bad for us. We can just come out and support this. And hopefully this will be the one that is, is passed and not something that would be more arduous and potentially, you know, cause us more headaches and put more of our business practices at risk, even if we're not doing it for, in our mind, evil reasons. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, like if any other states decide to follow, they'll, they'll look to California and say, right. Oh, look what they did. Let's just take what they well, did and right, then because, Apple won't. Right, because yeah. typically California is going to be the most hard-lined on these sorts of things, right? Like, I mean, you could potentially, like, there's some of the John Deere lawsuits and some of the things. So there are some of the, the Western states you could see potentially having really strong right to repair things. But typically how these things work, California is going to have some of the most hard-lined legislation. And so if you can stomach whatever it is in California, you can probably stomach whatever it'll be in other states. And more to the point the California thing would more than likely be the basis of a federal bill if there was a federal bill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. sure the federal bill would probably not be as strong as the California bill, which is usually the case, right? With these sorts of yeah. things, with consumer protections, especially. Yeah. Now, I, I feel like I, I pretty much agree with your cynical take. I think it's very fair. I mean, obviously, a corporation as big as Apple doesn't do anything for the out of the good of its own heart um and as we've discussed like extensively on the show before being like pro security for the consumer is also beneficial to apple because being pro security is their entire brand so while i like i absolutely i i think the the fact that the bill asks many or repairers repair services to disclose whether they're using um used parts or non-genuine parts that's great for the consumer it also it's protecting apple's bottom line which uh, when it aligns with my personal interests is a great thing totally Uh, (laughs) yeah i mean so do you think uh, right to repair it's one of those things we've discussed on this show before and it's it's obviously incredibly important and as i believe we've said before it's something that is uniquely not uniquely but it's it's quite unsexy when it comes to causes to advocate for yes but it is so so important at the same time right Right. (laughs) Um, and and i think that there are some interesting security implications for 
phones that are not present in other devices with right to repair. Like the tractors, like say or, or a cars. smart fridge or cars. Yeah. yeah. Like because I, I do actually think, you know, when you were talking about things where there are secure enclaves and these, the, you know, um, these these devices that contain like very important private secure information, you do need to ensure that those are sourced from the right places. So it's, it's you know, and, and having schematics and other things available could potentially be a security risk in some regards. Like I, I can see that argument. Um, in a way that I, I don't see it for a car or, uh, you know, um, a tractor or an ice cream machine. Um, I don't buy it as to the extent that, you know, Apple and some Apple apologists go, but I, I can't at least see the argument of saying, okay, this is why we want to have much tighter control over the repair ecosystem and who can get parts and who can't. Um, I do think that um, companies, though, should be required to make more of their parts available and that more things should be built in a way that are easier to repair because it's an environmental thing as well as a, just, I think, a consumer, you know, like just what are, what are, what are we buying mm-hmm. if we're not able to, you know, do our, our own work and our own repairs on things? Um, and it is an environmental thing because, okay, like if I can, if I have to throw away my laptop or I have to, you know, throw away my phone because the battery is is dead or I have to replace an entire computer because, the way Apple has their SSDs tied into the main board, like that is a lot mm-hmm. of waste. And and that's a, a real issue. Um, and these laws, to be clear, don't solve those problems. Um, but they do at least make it easier to say, okay, if I want to replace the screen on my phone and I don't live near an Apple store, which a lot of people don't, I at least can find a place where I can get an authorized part and an official part directly from the company, or I can take it to somebody who's been able to source that and they can, you know, um, have, mm-hmm. you know, guides to be able to put that on for me. And I don't have to either go through something that is, you know, kind of shady and that might not be sourcing things um, in a quality way, which I also saw, you know, like in the, you know, early 2010s, I, you know, they would have like, uh, come to your office and, and repair your iPhone screen places. <laughs> and that, that happened a number of times. Like, you know, we called people, like people broke their iPhone screens and, you know, people would come into the office and, and fix their screen kind of like on demand. And you'd yeah. see the quality of the, of the part. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is, this is a cheap part. You know, like it's not the same. It's, not the same. <laughs> it's fine because I don't want to pay whatever Apple's going to charge me. I'm going to pay this amount of money instead, but whatever. Um, but you know, you should be able to find like a, a quality part someplace that you can get repaired if you don't live near a, a company store. And I think that that should be the case for a lot of products, not just Apple products. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I guess I'm thinking of as we talk about this is I hope that I, it would be very cool for Apple to talk about this in, in a, a very public way and like say one of its, this probably won't happen, but one of its keynotes or something, because I think that. We are all quite used to, at this point, things breaking and this idea that when something is broken, there's just nothing we can do about it. And it would be cool to get the word out in a, like extremely public way that there are these other options for repairing things. Because that, I mean, we can pass as many laws as we want, and I think we should, about right to repair, but instilling and changing that mindset that we've all adopted over the past, you know, 10 years or so of like, "Uh, what can I do about this, Um, is also part of that process. I agree. Um, 
which again takes nothing away from from this bill and no, Apple support this but bill. But I agree, there, yeah. there should be more that's done, and it shouldn't be like you know. I think that Apple's like you know self repair guide thing where you have to put down like fifteen hundred dollars or whatever, and then they send you this yeah. massive toolkit. <laughs> like that's dumb. That's a dumb thing, and 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 that and that does seem like they're going out of their way to make it as difficult as possible for people to do these sorts of repairs. Like, I yeah. think they should have a much better process. I think that, frankly, the way that uh, Valve does uh, parts for the Steam Deck by having the marketplace both on their site and on the iFixit site, I think is really, really good. Um, I think that Framework, which is a company, you know, I've, I've, I bought one of their laptops two years ago and I actually have the 16-inch pre-ordered. I don't know if I'm going to keep the pre-order or not. We'll see. But I, I did put down, you know, my deposit or whatever. Um, they make all their parts available and they do make the schematics and things available and make things very easy to repair. And I think that we should be supporting companies that do things like that. And we should also be encouraging people to go, yeah, if something like this happens, not all devices are built in such a way that you have to throw them away. Like if you have mm-hmm. AirPods, unfortunately, yes. Like as an individual, you are not going to be able to. Sadly, we must embrace it. There's no way to get in there. Right. <laughs> you're not You're not going to be able to, to, to do that effectively. Crack that bad boy open with a hammer like it's a walnut. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, if it's something like, you know, but, but phones, even though I do understand why the batteries are not removable and I agree with that. I, I do still feel like, okay, it's a good thing if they're forced to design things in such a way that they are easier to repair. Because frankly, that should also make them easier to install and to manufacture. But I digress. Well said. All right. Shall we move on to today's dessert? Let's do it. Uh, so Fire Festival 2 is, I won't say upon us because we really don't know much about it. However... 100 pre-sale tickets exactly went for sale on August 21st. They were a mere $500 before taxes. $549.89 after taxes and fees. What were people purchasing with these tickets? It is unclear. Um, access to pop-ups and events around the world, question mark, as well as Firefest 2, which will be located question mark, in the Caribbean? Yeah. Presumably not on the island of Great Eczema, where the first right. fire fest was intended to take place. However, Billy McFarland, uh, scam artist extraordinaire, ha- says that Firefest 2 felon. will take place, and convicted felon, says that Firefest 2 will take place in the Caribbean. Uh, there is, at this moment, no lineup of artists, mm-hmm. no date. <laughs> And no specific location, again, other than the general location of the Caribbean. The Caribbean, which exactly. Which our listeners might recognize is a large-ish region. To, to be clear. Composed of perhaps hundreds of islands. Yeah, and, and <laughs> how many? Clear, how, hang on. How many islands? Yeah, let's Caribbean. <laughs> 700. I was I was correct by saying hundreds. <laughs> it's certainly in the upper range of the hundreds. Right. Not only that, though, like he says the, the Caribbean Sea, right? Yes. Like, so, so so that's where the geotag points to just in the middle of the sea. Right. But that's also what's on the website. Like like the website literally it can't says, be taking place in the sea. I agree. But I'm just saying <laughs> that's what it literally is saying. Oh, so God. so the whole thing is is nuts. What's interesting, though. So they had 100 tickets up, uh, up um, available. The URL, firefest2.com, uh, just uh, red- firefestival2.com, um, just redirects to this posh.vip site. Um, they, uh. sold, uh, they sold all of them. And, and yeah, again, the location, 
um, you know, Caribbean Sea. It's on it's an island somewhere. You see the video, which is just Billy uh talking um in a vertical format, you know, on his Instagram, talking about uh how he, he's doing like the the complete hustle bro thing. Like he's gone into full, full on hustle bro mode, like this is gonna be so hype, we're gonna do this stuff, and this is what we're gonna do, and all this and that. But there are no details. Um, now he is selling merch. So this is this is a new thing that I've seen that they have the Fire Festival um, hat. It's forty dollars. Fire Festival um, T-shirt, um, sixty dollars. Um, uh, hoodie is two hundred dollars. Uh, Another hoodie also two hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. This merch does not look as good as the merch that um, was that I got. Like the actual mm-hmm. Gen One merch was was better than this. Um, and this is also different merch than the merch that he was selling when he was in jail and he was doing that podcast that out wound up not um, being able to be completed because he then was put in solitary confinement for doing the <laughs> podcast, amongst other things. That stint in politi- solitary, because he was in solitary a number of times. So I think that stint is is when he allegedly came up with this idea, which is, as some commenters have pointed out, basically just the last idea that he had. <laughs> what if I did the same thing, but again, right, and with less, more vague, and without so, Kendall Jenner, and without Kendall Jenner, because she's not going to ally herself with you again. Well, I mean, she it's would a, if you paid her, but like you don't have any money to pay her. Ooh, yeah, can he? Well, who knows? Because listeners, if you thought, oh my god, only one hundred tickets and they've all sold out. Oh no, what will I do? Don't worry, you could still yes. buy pre-sale Firefest tickets because there will be more higher price tiers of fire festival two tickets coming soon the next tier there will be selling 400 tickets for eight hundred dollars yep. and if you wait till the very last minute who knows when that will be it's still coming soon you could spend eight thousand dollars on a fire festival tickets yeah and i i can't wait for that day to come so I, I think much hay has been being made over, oh, my God, the first tickets have all sold out already. It was only 100. It was only, it was only 100 of them, <laughs> like, honestly. And the thing is... If you think there aren't 100 people in the world who are willing to drop $500 for something that might be ridiculous. Absolutely. And also, like, the people that, who were interviewed, like, in the articles and stuff, yes. they were all pretty confident that they could be reimbursed oh, totally. if it didn't go off. Question, like, we obviously, we don't know much about that. But I, I, I think that that's not an unreasonable expectation to have, especially when this is a guy who's already gone to prison once. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, well, it depends. I mean, it depends on the terms of your credit card, like what credit card you're with, because, uh, you know, if you yeah. bought a pre-order thing and it says that the date is coming at a certain time, if he doesn't fulfill it, I think technically, like, your bank will get your money back for you, depending on who your credit card is with. But it's not a guaranteed thing. I would say don't, for any of this stuff, don't spend it if you can't um, guarantee it. I considered because I had and they were available for quite a while. I should I should note like it was most mm-hmm. of the day that the the first day that the first hundred tickets were available. Like they did not sell out instantly, which says a lot to me because that means that a lot of people were like me who were like, "This is funny." I don't know if this is five hundred dollars funny because. Yep. Yeah, it would be hilarious, and I would totally buy a ticket if there were more concrete details than a type form to build a mailing list, which is real suspect. Again, a redirected thing to whatever this posh VIP site, ticketing site is, and absolutely no details of anything. And then, like, an an Instagram video that he, you know, clearly, like, did on, like, his, you know, iPhone. So, like... In, like, two minutes. In, like, two minutes. And it's it's not even, like, a a good thing. Um, His social media following, for as much 
notoriety as he has is not good. Mm-hmm. He has like mm-hmm. he has like ten thousand Twitter followers. He has like twenty five thousand on, on 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 Instagram. Like it's low. This is an interesting point because some of the scammers that we've talked about many times on this show see Caroline Calloway, yep. see Anna Delvey. They have built a massive following yes. on the force of their disingenuous personalities. He has not. Billy McFarlane, that being said, he was literally in prison. Yes. Then again, so is Anna Delvey. But Billy McFarlane has not been able to accomplish this feat. Um, and I think that we see that with the the fact that it took basically a whole day for, for – sell 100 tickets. 100 tickets to sell out, yeah. If, if they'd been priced lower, I'm sure it would have sold out yeah, faster. Yeah, but I'm going to be honest you with know. you. Like, I feel like – Maybe I'm maybe I'm being just like too full of myself here, but I feel like I could announce a scammer con to take place on December sixth, twenty twenty four, and say that I have a hundred tickets available for five hundred dollars and not have any details. And I feel like I could sell a hundred of them in the same amount of time that he did. I think that's probably true. <laughs> like, 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 like again, like maybe I'm being full of myself, and and maybe I'm. Like thinking that I'm, 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 you know, uh, more powerful than I am. I mean, but I feel like I. Could. I'm assuming in this context that you are also like launching a website and yes. like making similar promises, and then using your social media following yes. to. Yeah, I, I think that. Yeah, I think people would buy that from you. Right, that's what I'm saying. And and I, people, I and yeah, I, and I, think I agree. I, I, I think I could even be completely like honest about like the disingenuity of, of it all. Right, Just like, I'm not really sure all the details yet. We'll see. And I think I could sell a hundred of them. I, I do. So I. It, that this is the thing that's interesting to me. So I have this question for you because I thought a lot about this. I think you you bring this up like Anna Delvey obviously has built like a big career. Um, uh, Caroline Calloway. There are these other figures who um, even Martin Shkreli, who creep as he may be, they all seem to have charisma. Billy yeah. McFarland does not seem to have. I'm going to be honest with you. He is not charismatic at all. There's nothing compelling about him. I agree. Did you have a question for me? Yeah, I, was I just ask, I, was I simply what, agree. I was going to ask what your thoughts were on that. Like, do you think that the, his lack of charisma is part of the Ooh. reason why he is not able to find success? As because, like, the notoriety that he has alone, he should be able to be making bank as a party promoter of nothing else. Like, as a party promoter of nothing else, he should be making a lot of money, <sighs> and he's not. And his social media following is weak. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just wanted to double check what his previous career experience was. So I Googled him really quick. And because there are other Billy McFarlands who exist, the Wikipedia page for Billy McFarland reads Billy McFarland, parentheses, fraudster. Um, and that is very funny to me. That's very funny um, to me as well. No, I, I completely agree. I think there's a lack of charisma at play. And I also think that there is honestly like a lack of creativity mm-hmm. because I feel like this would be such an opportunity to escalate. Yes. And to say, to to have it be, well, at this point, again, we don't even know if it's a music festival. Right. Who freaking knows? But to return to the same place, like, it's clear that, okay, you just, you just don't have a location yet. <laughs> you right. haven't, you haven't convinced an island to let you, like, you don't have a back upon you, them you, yet. You haven't been able to convince yeah. Axe yet, right? Like you, he was able to scam people the first time, but you very clearly have not been able. You don't have Jaw Rule this time. Jaw Rule is not involved, which to me says yeah. a lot because there are a lot of people who could do what they did and come out of jail, and Jaw Rule would still be like, "Yeah, we're going to do it again." Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, like, you're right that there is so much he could have done, like, within the party and promotion space after getting out of jail for serving his felony. Question mark, have you repaid the people of Great Eczema yet for uh, the, answer is no. the great burden that you <laughs> yeah, placed on their island community? No. Um, and it doesn't seem, at least as far as I have have seen that he's been doing those things no so and that i think speaks to also the the way like his relationship with these people as you pointed out like jaw rule not working with him again people like anna delvey um despite her terrible 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 reputation yep. has people like Kissing her butt, yes, constantly. Her terrible reality for, show for no reason. Absolutely, her terrible, her <laughs> terrible reality show, like dinner party thing. Like she's getting invited to all the parties. He is not. Yeah, that's very interesting to me. Everyone's like, "Wow, you're nuts." Yes, we want you around. Caroline, Call- everyone's like, "Billy McFarlane, you're boring." Sorry, go no, on. No, I was going to say Caroline Calloway, who we're going to talk about this in a future episode. But I got, a, I did pay for her book Scammer. I paid my sixty five dollars, and she mailed it to me, and it was great. Like the, the mailing thing was great, and I've been reading it. And Aww. I'm not going to lie, it's a lot. It's it's I'm I'm kind of becoming like. I kind of love Caroline Calloway is sort of the where Caroline I'm, pilled. <laughs> honestly, yes. But also, as we've discussed before, of all of them, she didn't do anything wrong. She like had a bad seminar and she maybe like was, you know, she didn't deliver a book, uh, you know, treatment. A lot of people, a lot of people had, you know, book contracts that they didn't fulfill. Like, like, you know, yeah. like Emily Gould uh, did that too. And, and, you know, she got to dine out for that for years. And like Emily Gould is insufferable and, and, and whatnot, but like, Nobody went after her the way they went after Caroline Calloway. So there's a lot of stuff that um, I'm, I'm fine with being like a Caroline stand, to be clear. But like, yeah, you have these people who really lean into it, who've really embraced the notoriety and the anonymity. Martin Screlly, again, he's gross. He's leaned mm-hmm. into it. That's smart. Billy is like, I, I don't know, because he's like, you know, I'm going to have after, after the fire, you know, thing and we're selling a Broadway musical and this and this and this and has all these, you know, things he's <sighs> claiming. And then when you actually look at any of the details, it's like the podcast that he did, which was with some company that I'd never heard from before and that I couldn't track down a lot of details on. And when we had Ashley Carmen on like 18 months ago or whatnot, she knew more about that company. And and I, I was kind of able to put some you know, kind of details together, but it was very clear to me that no one listened to it other than me. Like it was a very like low interest show, which is stunning. Again, when you consider the massive success of Fire Festival as a meme, the fact that there were not one, but two dueling documentaries on the streaming services. We all wanted to talk about it and watch things about it and read about it. And as a personality, and again, he was in jail. He wasn't able to capitalize on that at all. Whereas with Caroline and um, Anna, they well, Anna was in jail too. As, Anna was yeah, in jail. They were ice. able to like she yeah. got out and then she was in ice for a <laughs> she long time. She was in super jail. <laughs> she was in super jail. So like like but to be clear on that, and she still had yeah. like fans and still had things going on. Whereas like I feel like you know, he got out and I mean part of it I think is just that people don't like him as much. Um, because he's, you know, a bro and, and not, and, and he's not a himbo. He's just like, he just seems like a douche. Yeah. But also like if he leaned into it, like Martin Scully went full on villain. Cool. Like you, you, you be the penguin from, from Batman, right? Like that's what you look like. And that's, that's who you want to be fine. Um, but it's, uh, it's odd to me. Everyone wants to write out fire festival too and make it the meme, but nobody is 
only 100 people. It took a very long time for people yeah. to be like, yes, I will put down $500 that I probably won't see again or could potentially get my credit card coming to refund me on if, um, you know, this doesn't come to fruition in however many months. If I don't get details, I can reach out and be like, hey, they haven't followed up on this thing. I don't know what the details are. I want my money back. And your yeah, credit card so if any of our back. listeners are the people who have bought tickets, take that advice yes. to heart. Uh, <laughs> Billing McFarland, again, if you're listening, send us press passes. Yeah. I know you or won't be sending out press passes because you don't want people to come on for free. Uh, but yeah, no, come on our podcast, actually. That's a good point. I should reach out to him because <laughs> I have I, like I, I shouldn't have 10 times as many Twitter followers as him. Like, that's weird. Oh, God. Media, baby. All right, let's talk about what we're doing this week. Christina, what are you up to? Well, I am um, I'm going to be flying to Atlanta on Saturday. I'm going to be going home at the end of the summer. Um, I haven't been um, home to visit my family um, since May, and uh, the baby's uh, birthday, and so I'm going to be there for like a week or so, uh, right up until like a little over a week, actually, like through Labor Day. And uh, my mom's birthday was last week, or um, but, but I wasn't able to um, get out there, so it'll basically spending like last week of summer vacation. I'm finally taking like a, a, a actual Yay. kind of you know, vacation because um, I did a lot of my uh, summer vacation at the beginning of the summer um, when uh, you and I were in New York together uh, watching uh, uh, Taylor Swift in succession. And and I saw Funny Girl. That was like, that was really like my my summer vacation, to be honest with you. That was a good week. That was a fantastic week. That was the best week uh, that I've had in a long time. So yeah, so I'm flying to Atlanta and um, that's that's about it. What about you? Oh, right. Well, I will uh, pimp a uh, a panel that I am not doing, but I will be attending uh, because it is tied to what we were just talking yes. about. So my friend Tara Burton uh, is a writer and she is doing a panel theoretically with Caroline Calloway on Amazing. Monday. So Amazing. Uh, it, Amazing. it's being hosted by Interintellect. It's called How to Be Yourself? Question mark. It has Caroline Calloway. Tara Burton and Catherine D, who is an internet culture commentator. Yep. These three people are theoretically appearing together on a panel. Um, I And they're basically talking about curating online identity. Uh, Tara has a book that just came out this year called Self-Made, which is all about the, the history of like people curating their identity, going back, like tracing a path from the Kardashians back to Albrecht Dürer in like the 1600s I love um, and just the ways in which we stopped being uh, this is my phrasing not her phrasing but like stopping people who live in a society and started being individuals um, and the the way that our culture now prioritizes that um, Caroline is obviously an example of somebody who has intensely curated her, her identity in the public sphere and has in like embraced a certain as we talked about on this show before a villainous version of herself in public because people wanted her to be a villain. And she mm-hmm. said, okay, I'll be a villain. I'm going to be my most extra weird self. Um, so for her. will she actually show up to this panel? I don't know. God, I hope so. <laughs> but Catherine and Tara will be there. Um, so I put a link to that in the show notes. If you go to interintellect.com, um, you can find a link to the salon, the online salon. Um, and I will be watching and hopefully enjoying. Um, so check that out. So are they streaming that too? Yes, it is. A, it's an online only panel, I believe. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, so I, yeah. I, I will, I will, I will also attend that. That's awesome. Hooray! Yes. So yeah, if you were thinking, oh, I want to go to that, but I can't. Um, a pair. Oh, oh I don't know if I'll. I, 
I know something that I don't know if I can say. I'll tell you after the okay. show, Christina. But uh, there's a reason why it's online only. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. I, I can't. I can't wait to hear the details on that. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Wow. For our booster subscribers, you are about to hear a bonus segment about the exodus of all of Scooter Braun's talent, the biggest drama in the music industry in recent days. If you want to know more about how you can access bonus segments and support our show directly, receive a bonus segment every week on top of an ad-free show, please go to Relay.fm slash membership. Um, I also want to say, I think Relay just announced tickets to its 10-year yep. anniversary show. Mm-hmm. Um, I am trying to find the link to that right now, but it's happening not this year. Don't worry. Next summer. But next year. Next summer. I'm so you go. have a lot of time to plan. I really want to go, too. I'm, I'm going. Like, um, I've already committed. Like, I'm, I'm going. Dope. Okay. I should commit to that, too, because I really want to go. Oh, yes. I just... Okay. So relay.fm slash London. You can find that information about the uh, relay.fm 10 year. 10 years of this podcast network. I love it. Uh, show. Holy moly. Uh, which means almost 10 years of Rocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's awesome. It's being held in this gorgeous, gorgeous so theater, uh, the Hackney in London. It looks so beautiful. Um, and I'm just incredibly psyched uh, to be a part of that and to uh, go to London again because I freaking love London. Yeah. Um, but also just to, yeah, do the thing. We should stay together. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll confer on this off- offline, but, like, we should, like... I, I can look into like, what, what points I can use in other things. We should. Oh my god! Yes. We can use our Delta cards exactly. to get exactly. lodging and flights exactly. to London. Okay, exactly. <laughs> sorry uh, for listeners who are not uh, sitting on mine and Christina's shoulders at every moment of our physical <laughs> lives. Uh, she has turned me into a Delta convert. I'm trying to get those miles. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rocket. We'll be back with you with more news next week. And again, go to relay.fm slash membership to learn about how to support our show directly, as well as find out information about that 10-year anniversary. Um, Thank you so much. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. Terminated.